Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson. Thank you guys for listening, reading all year long. Um, as we get rolling here, this is and will be the Civilized Barking Post Game Live Room. We've been doing these for most of the year. This is Game 17, Week 18. Mercifully, the Brown season is over. Seven and ten, last place. Um, lost today, which you know we're, we're not going to dwell too much on today's events. Uh, they weren't all that unexpected. They weren't all that significant, right? We weren't dealing in playoff scenarios, so. Uh, I'm sure the Browns are frustrated, obviously, that they lost again, that they couldn't do more. Jason, it was another scrimmage for the quarterback who, you know, at times showed promise, you know, three or four balls that you're like, wow, um, they did score twice. That's progress. Overall, his mechanics are a mess. Um, you know, their best plays outside those those three throws all came from scrambling, which comes at great risk, right? So. He was a magician for part of the day. He was a bad quarterback for most of six weeks. That's just what it was. But it's over. Um, the buses are being packed. We were in the locker room. It wasn't especially somber, but it wasn't, you know, a celebration by any means. I think guys are exhausted. I think guys are relieved. That's probably the prevailing thing. And I think the defensive staff, at least most of it, will be relieved of their 24 hours. I don't see any other outcome. Okay, Jason's not in here. Anyway, um, you guys keep coming in. We'll start at the top. Lewis, the Steelers have a better record than our Browns. Yeah, they're, they're a better organization. Uh, Matthew S. Nate on the radio broadcast. It says Nate S. I assume you mean Nate C. Um, yeah, you know, the Browns did go five wide. This was about scrimmaging for the quarterback the last three games were. So it was not a winning game plan. Um, it was what it was. This is an unprecedented situation to be in. It's an unprecedented situation to evaluate the player, the team, the growth of the offense, the play caller. Overall, the game management was not good. Overall, obviously, the coaching was not good enough. Um, the Browns have gone backwards. So, you know, go back to that word unprecedented. You know, what are we looking at? What really was left to be accomplished after this team was three and seven and left for dead? You know, at what point did they decide that Joe Woods was probably out? That was probably long ago. And we go back to March when they decided to not take no for an answer from Deshaun Watson and take all of this on. So there was always a part of this Browns team that was willing to punt on this season and it didn't you know it never goes in a straight line um it wasn't like the offense failed and everything was great but you know even if you are a person that says okay they they were willing to do this this was never about this year they weren't going to win the super bowl you know you, you come away disappointed and you have to be worried um this is a very middling roster um there's going to be significant coaching there hasn't been good enough player acquisition and we'll see do i think Watson's talented enough to flip the switch and give this team a chance. Yes. Do I know that happens? And does it happen combined with four or five or six other things to go the Browns way? You know, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Let's go to the George T. I'm here if you can hear me. 
Yeah, okay, go ahead. So just um, okay, so the first thing is you mentioned this. It's actually for me uh, the the last game of the season was just a showcase of the Browns' progression. I don't know what's going on, in particular with the with the with the O line. I was concerned about that. But just a very quick question for you: There's been some talk that Sean McVay is considering not returning uh, as the Rams' head coach, uh, and really, I'm fine with Stefanski. Um, being retained for another season. Obviously they've got to make some changes some other places. Um, unless we can upgrade at that position, would you view uh, McVay as an upgrade to Savansky? I, I would, but I don't think that's realistic. If Sean McVay steps away, it's because he either needs time off or wants a TV job and wants the leverage that he will have 11 months from now, 23 months from now. Right. Um, he's not going to come work for the hazards. Not many are right. So certainly Sean McVay is not going to leave the job with the LA Rams to come coach the Cleveland Browns next month. So is that a down-the-road thing? I mean, if, if it does go the way that it was reported yesterday and McVay steps away, then he becomes Sean Payton, right? He becomes the guy that everybody circles for the future. But, you know, I think Stefanski is going to be back. Uh, as I've talked about it, written about, we have every indication that he is. I don't think the defensive staff is going to be back. You know, what happens with the special teams coordinator, the other guys, I don't know. But, um, you know, my expectation is at the end of the week, the Browns will be looking for a defensive coach. And at the end of the month, we'll see. But I don't think Stefanski or Andrew Barry or Paul DePodesta is going anywhere. How about now? Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh. Yep. Oh. Thanks, guys. All right. I'm not moving. I'm standing in the same spot. I'm in the middle of the hallway. <laughs> I've broken okay. into nine different suites. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. But I'll just stand right here and not move. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Jason, anyway, I threw it to you. You weren't there. You know, I talked more about a sense of relief and exhaustion, you know, more than outright disappointment here. Um, we, we don't need to spend too much time dwelling on this game. Everybody watched it. God bless you. And we knew that it was over, but you know, our expectation has been, there will be defensive changes. What do you think just uh, other than that? How would you gauge the overall vibe of the last few hours here? Is, is the Browns here ready to go for it? Well, here's what I think I'm going to write off of this. And I'm sorry if there's a lot of background noise, but I'm afraid to move. Um, you know, Zach, we were talking before the game. When they hired Kevin and the staff, when they were going through that coaching process, ownership told the candidates, we're 90% of the way there. All we need is a, is a head coach to sort of tie it all together. And since that time, they've regressed three years in a row in terms of record. They've changed the quarterback. Uh, and now this week, Jadavian Clowney embarrassed him. And it's not even so much what Jadavian said. It's it's the freedom that he felt he had to say that. It's a really bad way to end the season. And Clowney's a nobody, nothing. He wasn't going to be back anyway. He's a mercenary. He's mildly irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. But it's just the fact that he felt comfortable enough to say some of the things that he did that I think is more alarming than anything. And I haven't really written anything on the Clowney thing. I wanted to see what today looked like and. And you just leave this year with a really bad taste in your mouth all the way around. I don't see, you know, no one can call this anything close to a success. Yes, they have their quarterback in place. And yes, you assume that's going to fix things next year. I was talking to one of the players in the locker room after the game and said, you know, would you rather be the Colts or the Browns? The Colts have a lot of really good pieces in place. Their owner's a lunatic and they don't have a quarterback. The Browns have a quarterback and they have a lot of other holes. And it's just sort of the situation that you're in. You know, look, you look at the Jets. The Jets have a lot of really good pieces. They don't have a quarterback. And, and so which team would you rather be? And it's it's not really an easy discussion to have. It's not really, I don't think it's A or B. It's it's kind of a complicated situation. Um, but 
Sorry, we lost hold. you again, Jason. Um, sorry. All right. Yeah, yeah, you got me? Can, can yeah. you hear me? You faded for a second. All right, sorry. Yeah. I, I agree, Kevin, Paul, and no, Andrew um, are going to be back, and they're going to have to make major changes on the defensive side of the ball. And and the, and the pressure's on everybody day one next year. If this thing doesn't look right after six or eight games, they're all getting blown out. Right. Well, and this is an issue because when guys come into the season on the hot seat, what usually happens, right? But I want to go specifically to your point there. I mean, you're right about Connie being a mercenary, but let's be honest, this is a talented player. And more than that, this is a player they played a lot of money twice. This is what the GM signed his name to, Jadavian Clowney, not once but twice. This was his guy. Because in 2020, they tried to get him, and Clowney said, no, thanks. The Browns is the Browns, right? And I never um, liked the Clowney no. signing. You liked it more than I did. I, I never liked Jadavian here. And I'm not really surprised that it yeah. ended in disaster. It just took longer than I thought it would. Sure. But, I mean, so so here you go. In, in two straight seasons in which you've gone backwards, you've had prominent players quit the team. Right. Not finish the season. You know, take business outside. And, and that's a big cultural problem. So to me, yes, um, yes. you know, it, it's always a two way street. Right. And, and there's always things that we're not going to be in. on. But to me, it's like we didn't need Clowney to speak up to tell us that this was a bad season and everybody just needed it to end. But for this to happen the way it did, like this shit doesn't go on other places. Right. And I know that that's the vibe we've gotten too from from people that have been around here. Like they're exhausted by it, you know, and uh, eventually, like you have to say, OK, you know, they again, they, they've traded the farm for Deshaun Watson and they and got Deshaun Watson because they said this is a player that we've never had and is going to take his place as we've never been. And we are only six games into that. But when I look at every other part of this organization and this roster, you know, needing the season to be over, Jason, is not a good sign. And ending it in this fashion is certainly not a good sign either. The Steelers knew where the Browns were going all day today. And, and Watson was a magician to only get sacked seven or eight times and take the beating that he took. Think about I mean, that. He's a magician you know? to only get sacked seven times. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, so this is frustrating. And, again, before major decisions are made, they'll get away. We'll get away. You guys will get away. Right? Um, there are, there's flat out giving away the Jets in historic fashion, put you on a track, a bad track, you know, um, losing those AFC home games, put, put you realistically out of the playoffs long before it was ever done. And even the, the mismanagement of the Saints game, you know, you felt like your quarterback took a step in that game as far as finding something, playing in bad weather, playing, needing to bring the team back. Guys just didn't catch the passes at the end. Right. But I just, feel like that this is not a good enough this is a very middling roster um i feel like kevin stefanski is struggling and regressing as a head coach and i feel like he's better at his job than barry is at his and z podesta is at his and that's a big problem because the browns aren't good three years in a row they've gotten worse their best year is the year nobody was in the building that's a problem that's, that's very, a problem. very telling and we're not the only ones saying that anymore like i've talked to a number of players now who agree with the idea that their best year was the year when nobody was in the building. Yeah. And that's football was the main thing. That was the main thing. That's the only year football was the main thing. Right. Right. That, that is a problem. Um, You know, and I'm not advocating for Stefanski to be fired because common sense said he was always going to get another year. Right. But I, I, I have a problem with, with taking a look and saying, because look, this team is locked in for better or worse. Almost every key guy is coming back. Clowney's not. 
Kareem Hunt no longer a key guy. He's not coming back, right? Assuming you re-sign Ethan Pochick and assuming you don't pay John Johnson to not pay for play for you rather than let him play out the final year of his contract, then all these guys are coming back. And so if you want to take the optimistic look, or at least the semi-optimistic look, you say, okay, a new defensive coordinator, obvious upgrades in the front seven with better players, and in a normal offseason in which you know who your quarterback's going to be, know who he's going to be eligible to play all the time, and he can really grow with some, not, not enough good skill players, but still a pretty solid skill group, right? Um, then you can be better. I, I see all that, and that's, to me, the buttons the Browns are going to press now. I just don't think, barring a significant leap by this quarterback and this game management operation, that you can get to 10 wins. I just don't think. Pretty good in today's AFC is not good enough. And the Browns' regression in all of these areas that count. I mean, there's going to be like one or two games a year where you score 42 points and, and you laugh it through the end. Like Things like game management and making field goals and not beating yourself on special teams or having nine penalties, they matter. And it hasn't happened every game. I mean, this was a bit of a roller coaster. But, Jason, again, going back to the middle of last year, this team, this roster are going the wrong direction. And, and it's alarming because I'm always going to look at it like the bar has been raised. It's not supposed to be what it was from 2012, or really 2008 on, right? It's supposed to be closer to 2020. And missing the playoffs one year, missing the playoffs last year, that's fine. Going and getting your quarterback, that's a step. It feels like steps were skipped and major misevaluations were made of what's on hand and where the Browns, who the Browns really are. Here's the only thing I guess I would push back on. Why can't they be who, – who would have ever thought at the start of this year that the Jaguars would be division champs in a playoff team? So why can't that happen to Well, because they played against the Texans, the Titans who lost seven yeah. games in a row, and the Colts. Yeah. yeah. You know? That's like, and, and, and the biggest stumbling block of the Browns is being in the same division as the Steelers and Ravens, quite honestly. And the fact that you're with two of the best-run organizations in the NFL. Well, you can say Joe Burrow, and Joe Burrow's not going anywhere, right? But to lose to Kenny Pickett here, for them to be playing, them to be two and six and play the way they played, the Bengals haven't lost since that Halloween game in Cleveland. And for yep. the Browns to do this again in the second half of the year, guys, the coach isn't good enough, the roster isn't good enough, the organization isn't good enough. It's not. I'm not saying fixes fixes in in upgrades aren't pretty easy to attain, but I mean, you got to be like the most optimistic person ever to pencil in the Browns for mid-January next year. And they don't ever seem to make the I, – I, I mean, you could, You said earlier about having a, a normal offseason, and I, my first thought was, well, when is there ever a normal offseason? When is, when <laughs> oh, right. is anything ever normal? Like, what, what – you're almost sitting – you're hiding under the covers waiting to see what's going to happen next. That's a frustrating way to go. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, you, you might have the second-best quarterback in the AFC North, and you have the best running back in the AFC North. Um, you know, uh, you, you have a, I'm not going to get into to where he ranks. You, you have a once in a lifetime player in miles Garrett, and you have a secondary that is good enough, right? It's, it's a bit of a roller coaster. It, it is good enough, but man, Jason, a lot of these other areas, right? You have the third best receiving core and that's only because the Ravens are a complete JV organization in, in that, Right. You have the worst defensive tackle group in football, the worst linebacker group in football. And if you have the worst head coach in the division, too, yikes. I'm, I'm sitting here wondering if, uh, if 
if the Bengals it's between the Bengals and the Browns. Do we say that for the worst head coach of the division? Well, sure, but but I mean, this guy coached in the Super Bowl last year, right? Yeah, I and, know. and Kevin Stefanski has star players quit quit on this team every year. Last two years, that's a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem. Let's let's go to the queue here because uh, I, I want to keep it. We can keep saying the same things. And look, before we go to the queue, guys, whether you agree or disagree, we thank you. We do. We appreciate you coming here. So we're going to get to you guys. Try to be brief, but but fire away. John T. John T., go ahead. John, fire away. Yeah, hey. So, look, I think, you know, the, the problem that I have with this whole Browns organization, and Jason, you've, you've talked about this a lot, and Zach, I know you appreciate this as well. It does start at the top, right? You got an ownership issue, which you really can't address. But if if the Browns were a company that you were invested in, I can't imagine a scenario where you wouldn't fire the CEO of this organization. That he he hasn't developed players, as you said, they've regressed. It, it's not this isn't a raw raw thing. This is someone who cannot manage people. And by the way, he's not a great play caller. And his time in Minnesota, that's a facade. He was under the thumb of Kubiak. And All right, so you're this getting notion you're, that he's like a great play caller. I, I, I like there's no real evidence of that. There's there's some gray area and some argument on that. But the lack of player development and the evidence we see in terms of leadership, growth, right, handling things before they get to the public is question. And so when people get mad at me and say he doesn't have to answer any of your questions, hardy, hard, hard. Well, he, he doesn't have to. That That's his choice. But he is the CEO, like you said. And he gets X amount of opportunities to show everyone I'm in charge. Things aren't as bad as they seem. That You know what? This went on and it's never a, a smooth ride, but we knocked this shit off. And when does he do that? He doesn't. Yeah, I I don't like the way that he does media. I, I wish that he would be a little bit more forthcoming, but I don't, I don't necessarily think that the way he answers questions is a direct line to how he handles the locker room. But having said that, I can't argue the fact that key players have quit on this team two years in a row. Yeah. And, 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 and the fact, I mean, if you want to go back to what Clowney said, the fact that, you know, Chris Kiffin talked on Friday and, and Clowney basically told them, I'm only playing on third downs against the Ravens in the first Baltimore game. And there was really no repercussion for that. That's problematic. Like, that's really problematic that you're letting the players dictate when they're going to be on the field and when they're not. And there's, and, and so maybe maybe there was some sort of discipline, but none that I can tell. Right. Yeah. Okay, it just, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. Just real quick. In, I, I'm not even going to use Belichick as an example, but if Shanahan or McDaniel were faced with that same situation, he, they would have cut it immediately. And Stefanski doesn't do that, and that's a lack of leadership. I think you guys are awesome. Thanks so much for the time, and uh, uh, here's the next year. Hey, thank you. Thank you. All right, Jason, hypothetical for you. Look, guys, there is a 99%, 99-point-something percent chance that the Browns would not trade Nick Chubb, Miles Garrett, or Denzel. But, Jason, what if one of these guys comes out and says, I want to be traded? Who handles it? How do they handle it? Well, I mean, Njoku did do that. I understand Njoku's not the player of the guys in the caliber you just mentioned. But Njoku did come out and say, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to be traded after they signed Austin Hooper, after they drafted Harrison Bryant. And Kevin did get him back in the boat, and he did get him 
to buy back in. And, and Njoku is one of the most important players on offense now. So I do think that he can handle that situation in the right instance. And they don't, I mean, you know, I mean, who knows how this all plays out differently if, if Watson doesn't take their money. But, you know, Baker did ask for a trade and they told him no. And obviously we know how that ended. But for that brief moment, they were going to make Baker come back. So they, they don't have no experience at dealing with disgruntled players. Well, I, but um, I mentioned those three for a reason because those are the guys. Najoku at the time had done nothing. He's now right. done a little something in his career. He had done nothing. That's why they gave Austin Hooper all that money. But you can't, I mean, just because a guy asked for a trade doesn't mean you have to honor it. I sure, I'm just I saying, start. I, I'm talking more about the response. Like, who shows the leadership here, right? It would have to be Kevin. It would have to be Kevin. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, I'm not getting into the analytics debate, guys, but they have more analytics employees than anyone else, right? They have this method of grading and evaluating their players. Like, they, they're telling you that they're reinventing something. Well, what are they reinventing? Today they broke a streak of four straight third-place finishes by finishing in fourth, right? <laughs> The roster's not good enough, so it's it's really really interesting. All right, Matt L, go ahead. You've touched on a lot of what I said, but you know, for the most part, the best offensive game I've seen the Browns play in the past three years was when Stefanski was was in his basement and Van Pelt called the uh, play calling against the Steelers in the playoffs. I I don't know why or how he continues to get a hall pass for just a regression year after year after year, and and honestly. The game against Tampa, when he gave the, the post-game speech in the locker room, he had a bunch of catchphrases that, I don't know, all the players seem to be laughing at him. So I just don't think they take the guy seriously. And I don't know why he continues to get credit or at least stick around for a, a bad team, a dysfunctional team. So anyway, thanks, thanks for taking me. Yeah, I, I mean, the whole functional, the whole dysfunctional word, Jason, this is an issue, right? I mean, even after the game, we'll interview John Johnson. Hey, are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. I got an MRI, but I think I'm good. What's, what did you think? Well, I think we're too individual here, right? I mean, as far as guys quitting the team and not making it in some of the outside instances, I mean, that's well documented. That's out there. So, and that is separate of the rest roster issues. So, yeah, um, to say a guy lost the locker room is some strong word, and I don't know that it's provable. But, I mean, we leave here today thinking that there's a chance that Stefanski lost the locker room two years in a row. And if he did, then he doesn't deserve to come back for a fourth year. He doesn't. I don't think he's lost. I think Joe Woods lost the defensive side a long time ago. I'm not ready to say Kevin lost the locker room. That's fair. That is, that, that's fair. Like I said, that's strong. But, you know, the defense was such a roller coaster. And, again, today I thought – until they blew the coverage, the defense was fine. Now, is that the story of the season? Yes, they're good for three series, and then all of a sudden the wheels come off, right? Um, I do th- seem to change the entire game. Yeah. Do you agree? I do think that automatically you get better from a quote-unquote normal offseason, even if it's Browns normal and not normal normal, right? Yeah. But, you know, we heard Kevin say multiple times, having this off-season program is going to benefit us. And what did they do? The special teams sucked for the first 10, 11, 12 games of the year. The defense sucked most of the year, yeah. right? The offense was fine early, and this team that's invested heavily in the offensive line, more so than any other position, and continues to do so. You know, really, at the end of the year, the offensive line was on fumes. They have extended a guy who has a lengthy injury history, a good guy, 
a super hard to find guy in terms of his mix of intelligence and pedigree and toughness. But he has a lengthy injury history, and he's going to be 29 years old next year. They have to make a decision on Jedrick Wills at left tackle, who did not have a good year. He says he did. You know, they're going to have to pay up to bring their center back, and they should, and they, and they probably will. But, you know, you, you have guys getting older, and you have a line that did not dominate, and a line that's now relearning everything, how to play with Deshaun Watson and avoid these penalties, these holding plays, and these ineligible downfields. And that, and that again, that can come with timing, and that can come – with chemistry and that's where it can pay off in the off season. But by and large, like you can say that the Browns have some good players and, and definitely have a few great ones. But I mean, to say overall that this is a stacked roster and did it grossly underachieved? I don't know. I don't know. I see a middling roster. All right. We got two more in the queue. Jerry W. Jerry, you're up. Go ahead. Hey, what's going on, fellas? Uh, Jason, you wrote an article a while ago that you had talked to Jimmy about the fact that if I believe I think it was like if it was up to if it basically came down to him and he was the problem, what would he do? And he said he'd cross that bridge when he gets there. Like, I think we're on that bridge. And my question is about the ownership group. And when you look at it, it appears like there's four of them, right? It's Jimmy, it's JW, it's D, and I think it's Whitney. Like, are there too many chefs in the kitchen? Is that is that what's causing the issues with this organization? It's just Jimmy solicits ideas from that group, from Peter King, from these national guys, and all of a sudden, like, we can't make a decision. Well, I think there's uh, – yeah, I mean, listen, you talk to anyone who's worked in that building for any length of time, and they'll tell you that Jimmy talks to too many people, and he just takes – whoever he gets to last, whoever gets to him last, that's what he's going to do. Now, that, that was the case X number of years ago. Is that still the case? I hope not, but I don't know that we have any evidence to the contrary. And, you know, in terms of the power structure, I don't know. I, to me, Zach, tell me if I'm wrong. I think it's Jimmy D and JW is really what, what drives this organization. It's those three. Yeah, those, those are the three that are, that are out front. Yes. And, and JW, tweet, JW tweets during games and has fake press conferences for Jake Paul. Like, it's it's just a bad look. It's just a really bad look. And uh, and I, yeah, I mean, I've said all along. I, I think ownership is the root cause of a lot of the problems here. And you know, we said it earlier in this in this podcast. I think the fact that their best year was when nobody was in the building. There was nobody to bother them. There were no distractions. There was no fake press conferences. No real press conferences. Uh, <laughs> no business. No business people in there. It was just football all the time. And look um, what they did. Yeah, I'm going to acknowledge the bridge analogy. I'm not going to go there. Um, the too many cooks in the kitchen, though, to me, wouldn't be ownership. It would be this chief strategy officer. Who else has one? Who else gives him this power? What does he do? And where in the input of coach to GM, of coach to locker room, of coaching staff to, to head coach and front office, all normal things. Guys, every single team makes bad draft picks has disgruntled players, has players counting their money before they make it or counting somebody else's money, has guys who think that their position coach is an idiot. 32 teams have that problem, right? But what what really is the power structure? Why have the Browns been so bad in free agency in the middle to late rounds of the draft other than Barry's young and is, makes mistakes and he's human like everyone else? Like that that's fair to question like these lines of communication and where, you know? Um, you know, 
was it strictly ownership who took wouldn't take no for an answer from Deshaun Watson? Sure seems like it might have been, right? Um, you know, why wasn't Joe Woods fired earlier in the season? Did, did they were they going to give him a chance? Or do they think it just wouldn't make anything better? You know, who is making that call? If someone in that structure says we need to change a head coach or we have no chance, you know, does that person get backed up? Where 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 does that buck stop? Or who who has that that last call? I think we assume that it's Jimmy Haslam, Jason, but we don't know. And again, you know, they can hire all the analytics employees they want and have all the directors and stuff that they want, right? That they can do that. But when you're getting these results and Paul DePodesta is the only employee you've ever had who stuck around more than four years, then there has to be some questions about what's going on. And if he's this driving force, what's he driving? Where are we going? Because they're not going forward. They're not. Not these last two years, they're not. No, no. So it's, 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 it's an interesting question. Um, yeah, um, I just saw this, Jason, and I, it's from Jason D. in the chat. They aren't results-focused. They are process-focused. And, and I would agree with that, right? And when you do that, when you punt on a year, you give yourself excuses, right? When you can always say that we're on this and we have this coming. Look, Andrew Berry has not we, – we've seen awful here. We've seen the bottom. And this clouds the evaluation to me as much as the Watson thing clouds the evaluation. Amari Cooper for nothing, specifically in the short term, great move. Ethan Pochick, three weeks into free agency, great move. Getting anything for Baker Mayfield, for God's sake, great move, right? But there's a whole list of draft picks who are borderline NFL players at best. There's Austin Hooper getting paid to not play for you. There's Jadavian Clowney getting paid to not play for you and quitting the team, right? There's all sorts of things that have gone on that make you wonder, you know, about the process themselves. And when you've given away your next first round picks, when you've taken this on and committed to the money that the guys that you have, you have to say, okay, how do we get better? Well, you have to hit some home runs in the draft and this team has not drafted a pro bowler since Nick Chubb. Okay. Um, there's a good chance that the Jack Conklin thing will work out. You know, that they were getting ahead of what he would have got on the open market. That they don't think James Hudson is ready or they need James Hudson left, whatever those things are. But I just see a whole bunch of question marks going. And, you know, when you give out that money for that they've given out to some of these free agents, Conklin being one of them, Hooper obviously being one of them, John Johnson being one of them, Grant Delpit, top 40 pick, you know, and the results aren't spectacular, then, okay, a part of that is it happens. Free agency is dangerous. But when it's multiple times and now you look in the pipeline, it's pretty thin on your own talent here. You're looking for guys in their second or third year to step into starting roles, and there's not a lot of them there. Like, what, what, what is it about this process, and, and when do you flip the switch? Because, you know, there's a lot of guys that make a lot of money next year and a lot of guys that are 27 and above. And, frankly, in NFL standards, like, eight times out of ten, 30s ancient, right? Every guy's yeah. different. So, you know, Phil Dawson kicked into his 40s, and guys have played into their 30s. And, and, and Joel, you know, hasn't missed a game or even a snap in years and years and years. But you can really wonder here and look at the youth around the division again and say, hmm, this is this is a problem. I'm disgusted. I have nothing else to say. And I haven't yes. hardly said anything, but I've had so many connection issues. I'm done. Yeah. All right. We're going to take these two, Luke and Mike, and get out of here. Luke, uh, I was chumming you on, Luke, but are you there? I think you disappeared. All right. Mike R. Mike R, go ahead. 
Hey there. Uh, thanks, guys, for all the work you've done this year. Really appreciate it. But, um, you know, real quick, this particular game, I mean, you guys mentioned a little bit ago just trying to get Watson some experience and some chemistry between him and the offense and the offensive line and all that. You know, how much of this game and really the last couple of games have been just that, almost like scrimmages for the Browns? Because you look at that opening series, and, you know, they, they didn't hand it to Chubb. You know, I mean, Chubb got a couple of passes in there on checkdowns, but basically it was like, what, eight straight pass plays to, to open it up. So how much of this the last few games has just been getting Watson some some experience with the offense? That's a lot of it. Yes. Yeah, that's all this has been about. The whole year has been about Deshaun, and especially these last six games. You know, I'm not going to mention names, but there was one offensive player who seemed a little bit frustrated that no matter how long of a long shot it was, there was a chance to get Nick the rushing title, and they threw it as much as they threw it. But, again, that goes back to Deshaun, Deshaun, Deshaun. That's what these six games are about. That's why we talked about it on the pod last week. That's why they threw it as much as they did in New Orleans, against New Orleans, because the weather was awful. Your quarterback told you he didn't want to come here because of the weather, so let's throw him out there and let's see how he does in that weather. That's why they took points off the board last week and put him back out there on fourth and three, or fourth and goal from the three. Let's get in a goal line situation and see what he can do in that instance. The entire last six games, the only focus has been Deshaun and getting him ready for next year. That's it. Every decision they've made is built around that premise. Yeah, so so given all that, uh, how much of a of a leash do we give Stefanski next year? Like, I, I'm I'm guessing if we start like one and four, two and six, something like that, he's probably gone. But what if it's four and four? You know, that that middle ground. What happens? Well, if he's four and four, he's not getting fired, right? If he finishes seven and ten or eight and nine again and misses the playoffs, he's probably getting fired. He's getting fired. They're all getting fired at that point. I think. I mean, everybody's going. Look. Uh, Mike, you ask a valid question here, and I mean, you immediately every time you're talking about the Cleveland Browns, you have to go to the doomsday scenario. Yeah. And they gave away this year, and, and so some people will say that's 95% voluntary, and some people will say it was a little bit and it wasn't necessary. Even we, nobody knows that answer, right? But if they give away next year too, right? Then all that time this, that Watson has played with Stefanski's offense and been with these guys, you know, and then you're starting over. You know, I don't know. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm just of the belief and and I'm not, you know, I think there hasn't been more discussion about firing Stefanski because I think the Haslam's are scarred by their previous mistakes and and said, we didn't do it right. Well, they hired idiots. That's why they didn't do it. Right. Hugh Jackson is the biggest idiot I've ever encountered as an NFL head coach. (laughs) Then they hired Freddie Kitchens, right? I would (laughs) love to go drinking with Freddie Kitchens. I don't want to run my billion dollar franchise, you know, like, in some ways, this was an instant upgrade. In some ways, these guys couldn't help but raise the bar. And like I said, they haven't been terrible. Stefanski won coach of the year. So right. I, I disagree with people who say Stefanski's a bad play caller. I think most of the time Stefanski's a good play caller. I believe in his offense. I've seen it work. I've seen play designs I've never seen before, right? Barry's been a, done some good things. He's done some bad things. I just think right now they thought that they would come out of here, even if they didn't make the playoffs, with the trajectory way up. And instead, anybody I think who takes a rational look sees the trajectory somewhere between shaky and down. And really, I mean, outside of the fact that Nick Chubb is is healthy and that Miles Garrett is healthy, although he says he's not sure if he needs shoulder surgery or not, like what's in in Martin Emerson, what's really that exciting? Yeah, you got to give them credit for for Emerson. I mean, they. They they punted the well with the Watson trade and then they punted the second round. Emerson was actually a good pickup, so you got to give him a little bit of credit for that. 
No, he was, right. So you start handing out like, oh, wow, a, a great third round pick. Man, you guys have really figured it out. You know, like, it, I think part of the Watson trade was they thought they had absolute home runs in JOK and Newsom. Both yeah. those guys had bad years. You know, they thought the all O-line was this dominant group. It doesn't leave here a dominant group. You know, Peoples-Jones did get better. Emerson had a really good year. You know, I think Perrion Winfrey at the end of the year played like he can be an NFL player. You know, um, I just, even watching last night, two 500 teams in the Titans and Jaguars, those guys have waves and waves of defensive linemen. The Browns have Miles Garrett and the other guy quit the team this week. <laughs> right? And, and you paid him $20 million and you still owe him six over your various years in your cap, and he quit the team. You didn't get Jadavian Clowney for anything other than to play in the playoffs. He didn't play in the playoffs. So Alex Wright is the exact prototype of size, and I'm assuming athleticism, or they wouldn't have drafted him. Right? He's 22. I mean, he might be a starting player. Does anybody think that in three years, Alex Wright is going to be Alex Highsmith, even? You know, let alone some a dominant player? No. This defensive tackle group is awful. Awful. Taven Bryan was a backup from the Jags. This year, he played like a backup from the Jags. Tommy Toya is a backup. He was only active half the games. Perrion Winfrey could not even get a helmet for most of the games. Ben Silly, they signed a 25-year-old undrafted rookie. They signed off the Dolphins practice squad, and he had to play the very next week because the guys yep. around him were so bad. Yeah, I thought that was a typo. I thought it was Ben Stiller. <laughs> he was next. He was their next call. So, I mean, Mark, I know you wanted to get in. I gave you chances. You, you have to press the button. We can't just dial you in. So, guys, we've said what we can say. We have to write. We're going to talk this week. Um, you know, we're not reporting anything. Just from what Chris Kiffin said the other day at the press conference when he admitted he thinks they're out, from the way Joe Woods left his press conference, this is all in the app. You can read about it if you haven't yet. From the way Kevin Nani answered the question today, we're expecting significant changes. We'll be there. We'll talk about who and what might be next. We'll talk about why this happened and we will continue to talk about how they can fix it. Like I said, I've covered a lot of losses in this stadium, a lot of division losses, a lot of seasons that have ended without the playoffs. It's not completely bleak. It's just, I can't see this team as a contender without several, several things going their way. And to me, there's several things working against it. Not just the lack of first round picks, but guys, they've said, Hey, we're here and we've arrived. And those guys clearly haven't. But thank you guys for listening and reading all year long, and we will be in touch soon. Like I said, it might be Tuesday. It might be Thursday. We'll see. We'll both be out in Berea tomorrow, and we'll see how it goes. Thanks for listening.